Hello and welcome back to Heights Library's podcast, Unpacking 1619, where you can explore the interviews we've collected with scholars from around the country, in which we unpack topics relating to race in America. I'm your host, John Pichet, and I'm thrilled to share these interviews with you here. Marquise Bay, Professor of Black Studies, Gender and Sexuality Studies, and English at Northwestern University, discusses their book, Black Trans Feminism. Professor Bay argues that how we define, label, and identify ourselves can be a way to embrace freedom and the liberated possible. Here's our discussion from June 21st, 2023. I am uh, Marquise Bay. I am a professor of Black Studies and Gender and Sexuality Studies, as well as core faculty in uh, critical theory, as well as English at Northwestern University. Uh, and my work, generally speaking, concerns Black feminist theory, trans and non-binary studies, uh, contemporary African-American literature, philosophy, critical theory, abolition, kind of all over the place. Um, but those things, I can promise you all, they converge in really seamless ways. Uh, and I'm someone who absolutely loves writing, absolutely loves writing. I think through my writing in a whole bunch of ways, which is why I write so much. Um, but for me, writing is, in a whole bunch of ways, a discursive and liberatory practice. Uh, so that's how I approach the work that I do. Well, thank you for your work and the book we're going to be discussing today, which I thought was um, pretty amazing. Uh, it's called Black Trans Feminism. And if you could kind of just give us an outline of how you came to this, how, how you came to kind of batch these three terms together into one kind of cohesive thought. Absolutely. I can try, I can try my best. Um, so hopefully this will be coherent and succinct. Uh, so for me, my work and how I move through the world, how I move through ideas is always attentive to what is now in the scholarship being called the otherwise. Uh, that's not the language that I quite had when I first began on this journey, um, but I'm always thinking about the otherwise. And I move through that via radical intellectual traditions, namely the Black radical tradition. Uh, so I am deeply interested in thinking about in what kinds of ways might we understand what we have? Um, might we understand the things that we presume are possible? And what ways can we understand those things, in fact, as impositions onto us that circumscribe and limit us? And then how can we, in fact, move away from or outside of or beyond those kinds of impositions? And so I do that via uh, what I'm naming Black transfeminism because it seems to me that those terms are not so much specific kinds of people, individuals, entities, but rather they are inflections of what might be called a kind of uh, mutinous spirit, let's say. Uh, and I want to try to tap into the different ways that that mutinous spirit has manifested. And I do that most easily for me through the Black radical tradition, uh, through trans studies, and through a kind of Black feminist tradition. And so I'm thinking about those terms because they allow me entry into this kind of mutinous spirit, this insurrectionary spirit. Uh, so that's why I'm choosing these terms to think through this liberatory otherwise practice. Well, and I, that's one of the things I found so um, wonderful about your book is that it really does just kind of grab onto this liberation <laughs> notion and, and kind of looking for ways in which each term in itself provides kind of provides a way out of. Absolutely. Not, um, so like when sometimes people think about all of these terms, 
it's through kind of the dominant ways in which violence is kind of instilled on, let's just take black as the first one. So all the ways in which like black youth is criminalized and, and the black body is medicalized in a different way. And all these, the skin color is you know, uh, pathologized, pathologicalized. And um, you see it completely differently. And that's where I think if we could kind of just walk through both, all three terms and then bring it together yeah. single. I think that the, it, it's just fantastic how you do it. I can, okay, I can try. So, so we're going to take each of these terms together. I'm going to try to be as precise and concise, but also surgical with this as possible. So if we're thinking about Blackness as the first term of this, oftentimes it's assumed, and we'll see a pattern throughout these as well, huh? but oftentimes it's assumed that Blackness or Black refers to a specifically uh, epidermally and melanated individual uh, that then we reference and talk about. It's assumed that that is what Blackness is, uh, or that the things that are done by those specific kinds of people, that's what Blackness is, or that's what the Black tradition is. For me, I am thinking about it slightly differently. So this is not to say that thinking about it in the previous way is bad or misguided or anything like that. It's incredibly important uh, and incredibly useful and beneficial in a whole bunch of ways. I'm less interested in that though, not because it's unhelpful, but because it doesn't go far enough for me. So I am then thinking about Blackness via a whole range of scholars. And I want to name and cite my sources here rather than name drop. So I'm going to cite my sources, namely Denise Ferreira da Silva, Fred Moten, and Hortense Spillers. Those three people are the culprits for how I think about Blackness. And so to kind of give a summary of how they are thinking about Blackness, it is essentially, and I'm losing some nuance here, but it's essentially Blackness as a modality or a posture of subversion. So it's not this uh, epidermally sufficient individual, uh, but rather it's a posture of, of subversion, uh, specifically with respect to how we think about categorical imposition. What I mean by categorical imposition is think about all the ways that things, people, systems, history, external to you are telling you this is who you are. This is what you need to be. I am actually thinking about Blackness as the refusal of that. That precisely is what I want to understand Blackness as. Now we get to transness. And transness, again, often understood as a specific kind of subject with a, an anatomical or uh, sexed or gendered configuration that, uh, that is quote unquote opposite to the one that they've been assigned. Whereas, sure, that's an aspect of thinking about transness. But I am actually understanding transness as, again, a modality or a way to refuse gender as such. So it's not simply a tinkering with or tweaking of gender such that gender is still a kind of predominating framework for how we understand ourselves as possible in the world, but rather transits as the vitiation, the destruction, and in fact, making irrelevant of gender. I am very much someone who's a gender abolitionist, but we can get into that different day. But uh, transits as precisely the attempted abolition of gender as this uh, regime, this apparatus um, that is imposed onto people. And then feminism, which I'm always understanding via Black feminism and trans feminism as this kind of a insurrectionary spirit with respect to 
racialized gender, all the ways that we are said to have to be certain kinds of racialized gendered subjects, and gender is always racialized in my estimation, I want to understand Black feminism as this project of what the scholar, the Black feminist scholar Jennifer Nash calls an anti-captivity project. So Black feminism is this anti-captivity project, this attempt to get outside of, to move against captivity, all the way that we are ensnared and captured, how can we in fact think about Black feminism, not as this veneration of a specific kind of demographic, but rather as this anti-captivity project, among which the captivity, among which is racialized gender. And so again, this is all related to a sense of abolition, a sense of radicality with respect to gender. So that's how I'm understanding Black trans feminism. And I hope that made sense. And I hope that wasn't me rambling on for too long. No, I think that, uh, I mean, I understood it. So I think now, if you take each three of those components and put it together, you say in the book that Black trans feminism is in many ways a plea that tries to invite into its vicinity all those who wish to oppose, undermine, counter, oppose, destroy, abolish, or refuse the hegemonic constraints of power. Mm-hmm. What do you mean? <laughs> <laughs> so there are an innumerable ways, there are, there are innumerable ways that that power, that hegemony seeks to impose itself onto us. And of course, we have the obvious ways um, that power seeks to do that um, by via police brutality, uh, via various mechanisms of enslavement and confinement, think incarceration. Uh, But there are also ways that hegemony and power seek to uh, enact themselves onto us via the categories um, that we have at our disposal. So it's not simply that power is enacting itself upon us when it does a certain kind of obvious or spectacular harm to us, thinking police brutality or incarceration or these kind of easy go-tos, but it also manifests, and to me, it manifests a little bit more insidiously in the ways that it says, you can only be this kind of subject. You can only be this kind of gender, this kind of race. Uh, You can only live here or be with these kinds of people. And if you don't do that, you are an improper and invalid kind of person slash subject in the world. And so I find that to be incredibly egregious, incredibly egregious. So Black trans feminism to me is the attempt to refuse all those tiny apparatuses of capture. So it's not simply the the microaggression or the overt racist acts uh, that need to be opposed, but also the ways that it's assumed that you can only be uh, a subject in the world, you can only emerge onto the scene of the social and the relational with other people when you are named as this kind of subject, when you meet these criteria for engaging in social interaction. That to me is a deeply carceral act. So if my Black trans feminism is deeply abolitionist, it's precisely because all these small impositions that so often are not seen as impositions are themselves harmful to us. And I want to abolish those kind of things. That's why I approach this in the ways that I do. Uh, I want to try to abolish all these mechanisms of capture and harm and circumscription and imposition, all that kind of stuff. That's how I want to think through my understanding of Black transfeminism as an anti-carceral, as an abolitionist, as a refusal uh, to these various kinds of impositions. Yeah, and I, I would like to talk more about kind of the captive 
anti-captive. Because I think this is really important to your thinking and, and especially this idea of the uh, black trans feminist in that there, someone may say, well, I like being a white man or I like being a black man. I like being a black woman. Why, how is that capturing me? What, what do you mean by what is, that is part of my identity. But you're taking identity a little bit farther and and challenging not only my sense of identity, but my sense of your identity, right? Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Absolutely, absolutely. Uh, I'll I'll open this with a an anecdote. So this was a couple years ago now uh, that I, or more than a couple years ago, uh, I was giving a talk that was very much a uh, kind of excerpted version of what the book became. And I had someone in the audience during the Q&A ask me, and this is someone who, as I understand it, as I understand it, identifies as a Black woman. Uh, and if I'm talking about uh, the ways that we ought to give up and refuse these racial and gendered categorizations, uh, that we should let these things go, again, as someone like Jennifer Nash is saying, uh, among a whole bunch of other people, this person asked me to my face uh, if... With all that Black people, that Black women, that Black queer folks have had to give up, uh, with all of that, uh, if we give up even this, this sense of ourselves, what do we have left? And I responded to that person, we have everything else. That's the thing that I'm searching for, the everything else, all the other things that we could have been were it not for this apparatus, this regime of gender, of race, of all these kind of categorical identities. Because uh, to me, it's not that these things allow us to exist in the world, uh, but rather they, in fact, I think at least, disallow us from existing in the world in so many other ways that weren't even options for us. And that to me is deeply lamentable. And that's what I'm always in a kind of perpetual search for all those other ways that we might have been were it not for this regime that we are forced to live under in order to be legible in the world, which is also perhaps why I am so drawn to the illegible, because that to me indexes all the ways that we can move in different kinds of ways or that we can understand ourselves in different kinds of ways. That to me also is a deeply imaginative act, uh, which is why my abolition is quite deeply imaginative. I'm thinking about the kind of world that we might live in, were we not subject to the fetters of this world? How can we exist with ourselves, with one another? Uh, what other kinds of possible beings might there be if we were to completely expand and make much more capacious our understanding of what it means to exist as a valid kind of subject in the world. Uh, how might we in fact relate to relate to, to what is called nature or what are called animals more uh, or differently uh, if we were to have a radically different conception of what it means to occupy a valid kind of life? That's what Black trans feminism is perpetually searching for. All those other kinds of ways that we might move within and groove around uh, were it not for all these other ways that we are in a whole bunch of ways circumscribed and hemmed and cordoned uh, from thinking about. Uh, so that's that's how I might respond to the people who say, I like being this kind of thing, but that's, that's cool and all. Uh, I wonder if there were a panoply of other options for you. I wonder if you would have chosen this thing and if you would have, cool, but I think you should have gotten the option to choose from all the other things too. It's that foreclosure that what philosophers might call a priori foreclosure, that is the issue for me. I want us to be able to have 
explored or had as an option, all those other things. Well, and, and I think you touched on it when you you said in your in your answer the you say in the book quite often the, the possible of possibility mm-hmm. and possibility of the possible. And I think what we're talking about too is is a philosophical project in the becoming yourself, mm-hmm. but it's also butting up against all the regimes, as you said, and, and let's name some of them, Psych- psychotherapy, you know, the police state, capitalism, socialism, all of these different ways in which we're hemmed in and made to feel, um, you know, to buy into indexes and, um, you know, taxon- taxonomies that mm-hmm. are lists of the way we're supposed to behave and what we're supposed to want as exactly. a, a woman or as a black man or as a black woman or a black trans. And, you know, I think um, I'd, I'd love for you to kind of just unpack a little bit more about what, as an abolitionist, what the possible and the possibilities are of this self coming to face itself mm-hmm. in a way that is unfettered, free of the constraints oh. of all the stuff you're talking about. Oh, yeah. Um, so one of the, the quotes uh, I have in the introduction to the Black Trans Feminism book is a quote by Saidia Hartman, which interestingly enough, took me forever to find. Uh, someone mentioned it at a conference and I was like, that's a great quote, where was that? Uh, and the person just said, Saidia Hartman said it. And it took me literal hours to find that quote of constant searching. Uh, but the quote uh, that Saidia Hartman shares, uh, and she's talking about black liberation. Uh, the quote is, it might make everyone freer than they actually want to be. And that hit me so hard because we're thinking about the radicality of abolition, it will certainly make us freer than we actually want to be. Uh, It will make us freer than we even thought was possible, was desirable. Uh, And that's the kind of freedom that I am searching for. And also the kind of freedom that I am a bit terrified of as well, because with that, I too will undergo a radical transformation. Uh, So when I'm thinking about abolition and these possibilities and all of that, I think, on the one hand, which feels like a cop-out answer, but on the one hand, I can't nail it down or pin it down because that would, in fact, belie the the aims, the imaginative aims of abolition. Uh, to try to pin it down before we get there would be a disservice to that world itself. But on the other hand, I do think it will be, I think at the very least, it will render us unidentifiable to ourselves. Because if the ways that we have to understand ourselves are part of the grammars of this world. And if we are trying to get to a world outside of this world or after this world, after the end of this world, as so many people like to say, then that will mean that the things we use to identify ourselves will no longer be. So we will no longer be ourselves. And that to me is both terrifying, absolutely, but it's also an incredibly gorgeously beautiful possibility, uh, a, a way to to think about what else there might be, not only for the world, but for us. Who even is this us that shows up? Because that might mean that we no longer understand ourselves as uh, a a Black man, for example. Uh, We may no longer understand ourselves as a human. Uh, We may uh, not have this sense of having a sexual orientation or a gender or all these kinds of ways that we use to identify ourselves. Maybe we'll have things that might look similar to this, um, but I think the important part is that we allow ourselves to move in relation to one another on terms that are 
mutually and lovingly and generously decided upon because so often the things that we are made to do and be were done non-consensually, were done without even our understanding of what the implications are. We were told to be these things. So I think at the very least, the what the possibility what the possibilities look like are something as simple as, I don't know, something as simple as how do you want me to understand you right now? If you're talking to someone else, in what ways do you want to exist in this space with me? Uh, how do I understand myself in this space with you? Uh, I think that's a small, small gesture, but one that allows for something quite, quite different uh, because that might mean that this person or this entity even uh, might want to understand themselves in this way, which will then impact how I understand myself, how I interact with this person, which then impacts how we understand and impact and uh, move in relation to the world and other people. That will have a ripple effect, I think. And that is a lot of work. It's a lot of work, but the overturning of the world is a lot of work. And that's what I am about. It, was, it is a multiple lives long process and journey, I would say, um, but one that I wish to embark upon that so many other people have already embarked upon. And I am trying to do what I can to also embark upon that journey that so many other people have already embarked upon in Black studies and trans studies and Black feminism and in a whole range of other fields. So anarchism, indigenous studies, um, and a whole bunch of other ways, post-colonial and decolonial studies, all of that stuff is to me not a competitor uh, with what I think about things as if the way I think about things in Black trans feminism is the right way, but that I am in conversation with a whole bunch of other people. We are all accomplices in this project. We are not competitors, um, but we are thinking about different angles of insight into what kind of world we wish to live in with one another. Yeah. Well, and and it really kind of brings us back to that captivity, anti-captivity, mm -hmm. because what you're talking about is a conversation between individuals who are negotiating between themselves how they want to be in that moment. And that if that isn't freedom, you know, it I don't know what is because otherwise, you know, if you just buy into all the apparatus and the structures and the, the things that make people black, trans, feminist, you know, and, and white male, um, then you're starting from a point of control and you're captured mm -hmm. and you'll be in prison because all those narratives and the way we interact with e with each other is determined by those those systems or those conversations that we're not having, we're yeah. assuming. And yeah. in that regard, I want to talk about white supremacy. Mm -hmm. Because right now we're talking about three pivot points that are incredibly uh, determined by and threatening to white male supremacy. Mm -hmm. uh, maybe you could talk about how those, those pivot points for Black, trans, and feminists come together to really attack the, the superstructure of white supremacy? Oh, yeah. Okay. So white supremacy uh, as a structuring concept, as a history, as an enactment of violence, all those kind of things has certain kinds of logics that it follows. So one of them might be that you need to be a proper gendered subject, uh, that there is a head of the nation state, the family, uh, the interaction, and that head is a patriarch, 
uh, and you have to fall into these roles, which are binaristic. Uh, and then also, uh, there's a logic that that whiteness, uh, which is not for me to be equated with white people, um, but whiteness as this logic, this kind of organizing or ordering logic that necessitates order, um, that necessitates subordination of certain kinds of population that uh, that is given to extraction, so is deeply linked to capitalism as well. These are the logics of white supremacy, uh, and these are the ways that it has kind of manifest destinied itself all throughout the globe. Then Black trans feminism, if Black trans feminism is seeking to overturn and dismantle the gender binary, is seeking to overturn it and dismantle extractive logics, uh, or is seeking to overturn and dismantle hierarchies themselves, then that means that Black trans feminism is in so many ways antagonistic to white supremacy. Uh, so how then can I, as someone who is moving through Black trans feminism, think about white supremacy uh, in a way that dismantles it, but also, also in a way that allows people, because so many people live by the logics of white supremacy. So many people's livelihoods are predicated on white supremacy as an organizing uh, logic for them. So how can I not simply, or not only, uh, which is not so simple, <laughs> dismantle white supremacy, um, but also, find ways for those who move through the logics of whiteness and white supremacy, how can I, and I'm trying to be careful with my words, uh, like how can I invite, think about, care for uh, those people as well? Because, and here's the, the part that, or one of the many parts of my work that gets a little bit controversial, I think, I am, because I think through, move through, live through abolition, uh, that means that no one is disposable. Absolutely no one is disposable. So I can't simply say, well, white folks are going to fend for yourselves. No, I cannot do that because no one, that includes white folks, are not disposable. So how then can I think about the ways that the people who understand themselves as white are also subject to the ravages of white supremacy, that they, to use the language of Tim Wise, they also got got by white supremacy. So how can I show them that y'all got got? And how f is that? I hope I can say f um, <laughs> How f up is that, that y'all got got by white supremacy? How about you actually come over here and think about the ways that we can be more caring and loving and more and have more livable and sustainable conditions for ourselves? How can we think about that? as well. That's also what Black trans feminism is thinking about. It's not simply a middle finger to white supremacy and kind of railing against that, but also it's an attempt to cultivate care and compassion for all of us because Black trans feminism is not simply for Black people, trans people, or feminists, or women, uh, but rather it is a project that is liberatory for literally everyone and everything and anyone and any non-one. Everything is a part of it, or at least attempted to be a part of it, which means that I cannot be selective about who I feel is deserving or not deserving. Those are the logics of capitalism, uh, and I'm not interested in that. Uh, so that's how I want to try to think about white supremacy as this apparatus, this regime that is, of course, that needs to be dismantled, but also that is subjecting a whole bunch of people to its logics. And I want to also think about how to cultivate space 
for those folks as well, because I'm committed to a politics of non-disposability. I am committed deeply to that. So how can I do that via Black trans feminism? That's the open question for me and one that I'm always constantly struggling toward because yeah, there are some there are some people who are deeply immersed in the logics of white supremacy and I don't want to be around them. Uh, and in many ways, my my very being is uh, is threatened by them. Uh, they want to do harm to me. Uh, and maybe that's a space that I can't be in. Uh, but Black trans feminism is for literally everyone. Uh, so how can other people take on the work of Black trans feminism in ways that might allow them to get into certain kinds of spaces uh, to then do a different kind of work from what we might call the inside? That's also what Black trans feminism allows for folks. It's not specific to a particular demographic, but it is capacious and we might even say promiscuous. So it allows anyone into its fold to do its work. And that's the point for me, I think. Yeah, and I think it takes a, a level of courage and uh, mm -hmm. strength to also engage in that space. Because as you were saying there, if you are inclusive and you're looking to challenge the entire superstructure of white supremacy, then these um, three kind of identities, for lack of a better word, um, Black, trans, and feminism on their own are enough to bring physical violence mm -hmm. to the person who manifests them physically. So that is, but that to me is the last kind of uncomfortable stage of someone who's losing. So when you see someone who's trans or you see someone who's black and, and is challenging your normative production mm -hmm. of thought or whatever it is, so like they're challenging the fact that all well, black kids are thugs or whatever it is that the stereotype is, um, you know, that brings out kind of uncomfortability, which most people can navigate given a one-on-one -on -one interaction, but when it becomes a bigger conversation like the one we're having culturally right now, mm -hmm. um, it it leads to a physical violence before that liberation. Or mm -hmm. do you or do you how do we navigate that like on the because it seems really great to talk about, but at the same time, you know, people are suffering and mm -hmm. and having violence against them. Yeah, and that's a hard one for me too. I don't have a good answer to to this. Uh, I have a whole bunch of theoretical philosophical concepts uh, that I mean, as a theorist, I'm good at those. Uh, but it's it's hard for me to think about yeah, what happens when yeah, there are people literally being killed and all of that. Uh, like that's that's hard to to think through with other people in ways that still are steadfast about no one being disposable, et cetera, generosity, et cetera. Huh? That's really, really difficult. Uh, and you know, I think one 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 concept I go to uh, is the abolitionist, con abolitionist concept of uh, non-reformist reforms. And so when thinking about prison abolition, for example, uh, yeah, we wanna get rid of literally every single prison, uh, but on the way there, how can we make people on the inside, how can we make their lives a little bit more, a little bit easier? Um, so they're not subject to, uh, the intensities uh, that uh, are propagated by the prison industrial complex. Now, how can we do those kind of things that don't simply say, okay, we're going to quote unquote fix this part and then the rest can stay? How can we continue to mitigate the harms that people are going through on our way to ultimate liberation and eradication of these systems, et cetera? 
that's a difficult thing to do. Uh, and I don't have the answer to that, um, but I will say that I know that this needs to be done in coalition. Uh, and what I mean by coalition is slightly different than what people say solidarity, for example. I mean coalition in the sense of not just people who all look like us uh, or people who are all from the same neighborhood or something like that. We're talking to them uh, and we're organizing in our communities. That's cool and all, huh? but I'm thinking about coalition in a deeper, uh, much more gritty and robust sense of like, this will require that. No, I'm not gonna, I'm not gonna say that. I was about to say something that was real suspect, <laughs> um, but uh, this will require that we are in conversation that we are in uh, relation to people who might think slightly different things from us. We might have different approaches or tactics. How can we think about these not as opposing one another necessarily, but as ways to, as entries into this project that we're, that we're all a part of or that we are hoping to be a part of. Coalition is something that is very much about a kind of mutual, mm, a mutual mutual sustenance, uh, we might call this mutual aid uh, in different kinds of settings, uh, but a, a way to be together in ways that sustain all of us, uh, but also in ways that allow for us to get free in a different, more radical kind of way. That will require that we are in conversation and community in relation with people who are unlike us in a whole bunch of ways. Uh, that might mean that we are, if we are part of this, uh, this black nationalist family, uh, and then there are some trans people that show up, and then you have a whole bunch of handcuffs about uh, gender normativity and those kinds of things. So that will require that we be in, I'm not even going to say community, that's not as robust a word as I need, uh, but in coalition with one another, uh, that we are mutually allowing us to get free. I'll give an example to kind of close this out. Uh, so I've been doing prison education for six and a half years now. And just in my last um, prison education class um, from this past semester, uh, I was talking to my students. This was a an ostensibly men's prison. Uh, and we were talking about, we were talking about the case of Castor Semenya, uh, who Real briefly, uh, is was this uh, South African uh, Olympic runner who uh, had to undergo a litany of medical tests and all that that challenged her womanhood um, because she was smoking everybody on the on the on the field, uh, and so she was undergoing all this scrutiny, uh, all this kind of examination. Uh, and then one of my students was like, "Look, this," and this is this is a student who hadn't really thought about transness or gender non-normativity or intersex at all. And then this student said, you know what, this sounds real similar to when they have fucking white folks on uh, in like the like having enslaved people on the auction blocks uh, and uh, inspecting their genitals uh, and their musculature and all those kind of things. And like, so if we are getting uh, screwed over by this same system, why are we not coming together and trying to fight this system? That's coalition to me. Like even this person who uh, had not really thought about transness at all, this person is seeing similarities um, to this person whose experience is wildly different from his. And then seeing that, you know what, this is, we are a part of this similar system of getting screwed over by this structure. So how can we come together? Even if I quote unquote, don't agree with your lifestyle, as so many people often say, or if I have not had these experiences, that doesn't really matter to me in this instance, at least. I don't want to paper over your differences, but right now what matters is that 
that you are being harmed, I am being harmed, we're being harmed by this thing, let's go and solve this thing. That's coalition to me. Uh, and I want more of that. And that's going to be difficult. Um, that will be that might lead to some forms of violence. Uh, and that, of course, is going to have to be navigated and negotiated. There are some people who are more predisposed to certain kinds of violences. So how can we think about that predisposure uh, in ways that are ethical and sustainable? Of course, it's going to require all that. Nonetheless, I think it's going to require a deep sense of coalition as well. Well, and I you bring it up in the, in the very beginning of the book, and I think it's such a great um, metaphor for kind of the project, which is the Underground Railroad and Harriet Tubman and this idea of that kind of, even if I can't, you know, go out and actually live your experience, I can give you a safe space, not a safe space, but a port in the storm. Mm -hmm. I take you in and I can embrace you and feed you and give you yes. what you need so that you can continue out and do your fight. Exactly. Even if I can't fight with you for whatever reason, mm -hmm. I can help the fight in that way, in other ways. And I think that's that's such a great um, um, way of thinking about it. And I I really do feel that like the conversations I've had on a personal side is that, you know, this intersectionality is such a powerful tool. And so when someone starts talking about, well, black people want this or trans people aren't this or whatever, switching it and making it about, if it's a woman going, you know, well, what about feminism? Would mm -hmm. you be treated the same way? Well, no, I don't want to be treated that way. I don't want to be defined by my gender. I want to be able to do whatever I want. So why should I transport? You know, and it's this interlinking the commonalities, as you were saying, is mm -hmm. so powerful in that conversation. And um, while it doesn't necessarily, it begins to change the, the, the dialogue. And that's why... Again, coming back to this idea of black trans feminist is is just such a fantastic um, way of thinking about it because it pulls together those three engagements in a way that is just liberatory. Mm -hmm. And I kind of want to just just end with the I don't I didn't write down who said it, but when you were talking about black feminism, it's a refusal to disappear and a refusal to comply. Yes, if yes. that doesn't sum up <laughs> just kind of the whole project. Mm, I think exactly. because we so often disappear in conversations mm. in our own lives sometimes and mm. you know, we just minimize ourselves instead of going forward and saying but this is who I am what I need and what I want yeah at the same time complying with that captivity that we were talking about earlier and like I'm just going to be the white guy in the room instead of, hey, maybe I'll be the white guy in the room who isn't being the white guy in the room. You know? yes. Yes. That's the kind of thing, like that in itself is not complying with the white, you know, that the whole yeah. narrative that we're supposed to have. Yeah. So um, I want to thank you for your work. And if you have anything else you want to kind of just add to kind of drive yeah. the point home, I think just where can we find you and all this good yeah. stuff? Yeah, that was, thank you so much for this. has been a wonderful, wonderful, wonderful conversation. Uh, the the author of that quote is Denise Ferreira da Silva from her article, Hacking the Subject. A marvelous, marvelous article. I love Denise Ferreira da Silva's work so, so much. Um, but uh, it's hard to find me. Actually, I'm not on any social media, uh, and I like it that way. Uh, but you can feel free to email me. Um, my email is on my Northwestern University page. And my email is just marquise.bay at uh, northwestern.edu. 
Uh, and I also have a website, marquisebay.com. Uh, you can find all of my work there. Uh, I'm pretty regular in updating that. Uh, and yes, feel free to reach out to me. I always love, I get so many email from the university that I frankly don't care about. So it'd be really nice to hear from folks uh, who are outside of, the, of that university uh, who want to just chat about things. So please feel free to reach out. I love receiving those kinds of emails. I love conversing with people about these kinds of things. Uh, and I'd love to just learn more about people. So yeah, that's where people can, can find me. Uh, thank you so much for this conversation. Thanks so much for the work that you do. I think that's incredibly, incredibly important. Uh, so keep doing this work because this work needs to be done by as many people as possible. And I'm so glad and fortunate that I was able to be a part of that work today with you. So thank you so much for that. Thanks for listening to Unpacking 1619. For more information on Heights Library 1619 Project Discussion Group, or to check out more interviews with scholars, please visit heightslibrary.org. See you next episode, wherever you listen to podcasts.